Hey everyone, it's Jonathan, and welcome back to the Disney Movie Marathon. This episode is part of a series I made for my main podcast, I Heart Movies, in 2021. I don't have anything new to add to or edit from this one, so I'm going to leave it as is, and we can get right into the episode. Hey everyone, it's Jonathan, and welcome back to the Disney Movie Marathon. Today we're continuing our journey through Disney's package films with fun and fancy free. This was Disney's 1947 feature that paired two much longer short films in the previous package films, which had so far mostly consisted of short cartoons and musical numbers. The first story presented here is the now relatively obscure short called Bongo, about a bear who escapes the circus, and the second is the much better known film Mickey and the Beanstalk. And these stories are also bridged by a loosely connected story featuring Jiminy Cricket from Pinocchio. Joining me as always is my cousin Sarah, and she actually grew up with Mickey and the Beanstalk, in contrast to me, who never saw either of these films until adulthood. Okay, fun and fancy free. From 1947? Or was it 49? Yes, okay. 47. Okay. So, this is one that I wasn't completely familiar with until a couple years ago. Like, I knew about the Making the Beanstalk segment. I don't think I'd ever seen it. I had no idea what Bongo was. I, and I don't know how familiar you are with the movie as a whole, but I know you had some familiarity with... I grew up with Mickey and the Beanstalk, but it had a different narrator. They cut out Mm -hmm. the McCarthy part, which frankly was one of the best parts. (laughs) (laughs) So, but it was still, I still enjoyed it as a child. I was not, I don't know if I ever watched Bongo. When you watched Mickey and the Beanstalk, do you remember who the narrator was? You know, I wonder if it was that little professor guy. Because we would always quote, even into adulthood, shelling and shelling and shelling. Ludwig von Dreck. I, w- I can't help but wonder. It probably was, because there were a few different versions released, and that was one of them. He did. But they... that's, that's like our top quote from that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as he's pitifully slicing the, the bean, I think. I, I want to see these other versions, because... There's a couple different ones for sure. There are three different versions, actually. It was first aired as an episode of the Walt Disney Anthology series with a new intro in 1955, and yeah, that was Sterling Holloway replacing Edgar Bergen. It, it couldn't have been that one. No. Not, with, not with the way we were quoting it. No. And that version was frequently paired with Dumbo, I'm assuming to fill the time slot. Okay. <sighs> Gotta fill it. Fill in the two-hour commercial loaded time slot somehow. Because uh, Dumbo is already really short, and Mickey the Beanstalk is pretty short. I'm okay with not having that version pounded in my head. <laughs> Second time was in 1963, same series, but with Ludwig von Drake narrating. That has to be the one. Mm-hmm. And that version was usually on home video releases in the 80s okay. and 90s. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, so that's probably the one you saw. And then the third version, and it's probably the one I want to see the most. (laughs) There was a third version made for The Mouse Factory, whatever that is. It was a show that aired between 72 and 74. And that one starred Sherry Lewis and Lamb Chop. (laughs) 
<laughs> I bet that was very cute. Probably. But it's almost like they're doing a riff on the 40s with... The, oh, my goodness. I was just thinking that, too. Which, if you didn't know... Yeah. Well, that sounds nice. Yeah. So, that's just an interesting little bit of trivia. I would I would really like to see all three versions. I should see if they're available online somewhere. It'd be nice if Disney Plus had like a choice where you could choose which version you wanted to watch. Mm. Maybe in the future they'll flesh that out. <laughs> when they finally add Make Mine music. Because <laughs> sure. that's still not on Disney Plus either. Mm. I can see where it wouldn't be super high on the priority list. <laughs> um, yeah. it, even though it does have nostalgia factor for me. So, this movie, it has kind of a strange release history because it was originally meant to be two full-length features. Like, a lot of these things during this period of time, they meant for things to be different than they were, but because of budgetary restraints. Like a whole movie, both of these? Yes. I could see that because they, like, there's no connection mm -hmm. at all no. between them. <laughs> And Bongo was originally envisioned to be a sequel to Dumbo. Because he's a oh. circus bear. It was originally going to feature characters from Dumbo as well, but they ended up cutting that out. Uh, I suppose Dumbo wasn't going to escape into the wild, but, you know. <laughs> no, I don't think, I don't know that Dumbo, they never said Dumbo was, like, potentially going to be in the film. Just, like, side characters from Dumbo. Okay. Well... I don't, yeah, I don't, I, Dumbo was its own thing, and I don't know how well that would have jibed anyway, because mm -hmm. it's like, here's this character escaping, but nobody else does, <laughs> but it, he's kind of a singular character in the circus mm -hmm. during this one, so it works. Yeah. I had forgotten that this starts out with Jiminy Cricket, and mm -hmm. has Jiminy Cricket throughout it, and... It's almost like, I suppose, the theme of optimism probably stretched from the 1930s, apparently post-war. I think by the 1950s, they probably felt like they had more to be optimistic about. <laughs> but I just feel like there is a theme in the 1930s of, okay, let's be positive, we're going to make it through. And I feel like that theme is continued in this one, even though it's 47, but it hadn't been that long since they had been in the war. Well, are you talking about the song, I'm a Happy-Go-Lucky Fellow? Because that was kind of an interesting little bit of trivia. That was originally written for Pinocchio, so it probably was written around that time. Oh, so like the very beginning song. Yeah. Okay, well that fits totally mm -hmm. with the 30s then. Yeah. It was probably written about the time that you're talking about with the optimism. Right. It just got cut from Pinocchio, but they still liked the song. They wanted right. to keep it, and they reused it for this movie. Right. Okay. <coughs> but it's featuring the lyrics of Fun and Fancy Free, right? Yeah. Um, okay, that makes total absolute sense. <laughs> and uh, it also, once he gets to the part where he's looking at a... Okay, he gets onto the bookshelf, and it, there's a title called, like, Misery for the Masses, <laughs> and he's looking at a newspaper with all of these dismal headlines. Um, mm -hmm. I think one of them had to do with, one of them had to do with extinction, and 
it just seemed timely. <laughs> oh, either that, it just shows that things haven't changed as much. But I know that things have changed, and it does seem timely. Of well, there's that saying: the more things change, the more things stay the same. So <laughs> mm, okay. Mm. It was hard to catch all the headlines. It would have been nice to catch them more. I don't know if you wrote any of them down, but maybe it's just as well not to. I don't know. It just seemed quite apropos. And the idea of being optimistic is is nice. I found it kind of interesting that in reusing Jiminy Cricket, they also reused Cleo in this scene, having her be in the fishbowl. It seemed like they almost were trying to reuse Figaro, too, except it was more like an evil version of Figaro. It wasn't really Figaro. It was real to cats, though, because <laughs> our cats would want to kill a cricket, so. <laughs> I didn't even think of it in that way, but that's totally true. Cats love killing crickets. <laughs> yeah. But, no, they... Oh, yeah, he, he gets into a nursery, and there's this depressed-looking bear and this depressed-looking doll, and he's going to cheer them up by playing a musical story by Dinah Shore. <laughs> and then at the end of it, they're smiling and happy. And, yeah, that was kind of strange. And, like, they're a toy couple, which is also... <laughs> do not think too deeply about that. Uh, it's probably one of those things that little kids wouldn't think twice about because that's probably some story that they would play with their doll and their teddy sure, bear. Sure, <laughs> and sometimes we need to just not overcomplicate the thought process on that one. Yeah. These anthropomorphic toys can cuddle if they want to. <laughs> and in this one, like you said, Dinah Shore is the narrator, but in re-releases later on, Jiminy Cricket narrated the whole thing. What? Yeah, I'm not sure why. What on earth? They probably just wanted to cut out the bongo section, and since Jiminy Cricket, his part kind of bled over into the next one, they probably trimmed around it as much as they could, and then used him as the narrator. I don't know why. But did they still include bongo, just him narrating bongo? They probably had her singing, and she sang a lot of the stuff in the story. They Maybe. probably just had Jiminy telling the story. I wonder if they wanted to keep the franchisey cartoon factor of... As time went by, I mean, Jiminy Cricket's going to be more familiar to children than mm -hmm. Dinosaur. Whereas at the time, she would have been extremely well-known. Mm -hmm. I presume. I mean, I know she had her own show in, I think, the 50s. And she was obviously already famous enough to be narrating a whole Disney potential movie at the time. So... Mm -hmm. And, like, in re-releases for Mickey and the Beanstalk, I'm sure they probably were thinking that Ludwig von Drake would be more familiar. Mm. I mean, not like he's a super familiar character, but, like, he's, he's a, a Disney duck. voice. So they probably are trying to keep the Disney-ness in this rather than have this random guy with a puppet that nobody knows about. <laughs> Which... When you think about it, it's almost silly when they expect everybody to know Mickey from the 1920s on, but forget about Edgar Bergen. <laughs> like, well, Mickey has, he has staying power, and oh, Edgar Bergen has kind of been forgotten, aside from people who know that kind of from stuff. from people like me. <laughs> okay. But I'm but, sure that's what they were thinking. I don't know. 
Same with Sterling Holloway, because he's, even though people probably don't know the name Sterling Holloway, they know his voice, because he's been in so many Disney things. Oh, yeah. He's Winnie the Pooh. Mm Mm-hmm. He's Winnie the Pooh. He's the Cheshire Cat. He's Ka. He's 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 everywhere. Yes. He's everywhere. So uh, that's probably why they used him and then used Ludwig von Drake. I guess we can get into the Bongo story itself. The thing that I I don't know if it annoyed me about this one, maybe it's more like it bored me, was that the narration was so obviously for children. (laughs) It just felt like they were talking, she was talking to a child, and I just kind of got bored. And maybe maybe it wasn't even just that. I think the whole thing, I was just bored through this whole short. (laughs) I, at some point, well, I kind of had to drag myself kicking into watching this film. And then I found myself at different points enjoying it. But it was helpful when I got to a point where I was doing other stuff and watching it, you know, being active. And so I could just enjoy the amusing parts, but not feel like I was, yeah, spending all my... Yeah, I wonder if that's part of why they changed the narration. Maybe they wanted to broaden the age group that it was addressing. I hadn't even thought of that while I was watching it. It could be. It would be interesting to find a version of this one, rewatch it and see how the Jiminy Cricket narration changes it. And and honestly, yeah, because that might have made it more entertaining than what it was. This is not one that I like it's not terrible, but it's not one that I would be dying to revisit unless I needed to keep a four year old busy or something. Mm-hmm. And even then I could find better ones. <laughs> It's not like it wasn't creative or anything. Mm-hmm. There were parts of this that I did like. The animation was good, and the part where the circus was set up and taken down amused me. The way that, that was, was good, sucked up like that a vacuum good. and then squirted out like toothpaste from the train. <laughs> and it's nice that a creature got to be freed into a natural habitat mm-hmm. for a bear. At one point, I saw these cute little quail, and I love it any time they have quail on it. Quail in quite a few of these, and like the last, this gap of like 10 years, quail seemed to be a recurring theme. Probably think California quail. It was probably Mm. familiar to them. You're probably right. And they're adorable and beautiful. (laughs) And the next thing I know, one of the quail kids is getting in trouble, so it wasn't (laughs) as cute anymore. (laughs) Maybe it was supposed to be funny. It was like, oh, yeah. Quail. Oh, oh, Junior's in trouble. <laughs> it probably was hilarious to an audience at that time. Probably. When he got out into the woods and he's getting settled in and he's all comfy and then all of these obnoxious things start happening, some of them not necessarily realistic at all, I couldn't help but wonder if the person animating it or the people making it, whoever wrote the story, was it was sort of their perspective on a bad camping trip (laughs) probably like this was not as fun as i thought it was gonna be there were all these noises and creepy stuff and one thing that amused me i was i was bored by most of this i have written down i don't know how many times in all my notes too long too long too long about each different scene Mm. just went on forever but the one thing in this one that had that amused me was the caterpillar violently eating a leaf. <laughs> and I and see my brain wants to think, was the caterpillar really eating in the middle of the night? <laughs> really? 
Maybe I don't know enough about caterpillar biology, but... Yeah, there was a lot of weird things in that scene. Just, <laughs> I like the lightning. <laughs> the sentient lightning bolt chasing around. <laughs> I, and that may have also been revenge of the camping trip in this. Then the next morning after the camping trip, you meet Lula Bell, who is like, I guess, the point of the story. Well, it's just the classic cartoon thing of boy meets girl horrible thug comes along <laughs> wants girl boy has to rescue girl yeah that's kind of true it's kind of a popeye situation isn't it um i grew up watching a cartoon called the china shop where there was like this devil china thing who wanted her um think about the one with the trees one of the really early ones right where there was that icky old tree who mm. wanted to steal her away from the lovely young tree. It just, steadfast tin soldier in Fantasia 2000. It just, it is, it's a classic. It's an old trope, yeah. It's a classic. We yeah. could call it that, too. And sometimes works better than others. That, yeah. This, I don't know that it worked that well on this. I was annoyed by a lot of it. <laughs> mm. I did, I, I thought, okay... One of the creative things that they did in their very drawn-out falling-in-love scene was they had little bear cherubs. <laughs> I wrote in children. my notes, I called them bearubs. <laughs> <laughs> and the the piece of heavy equipment machinery up in heaven dumping flowers on them, that was kind of a, a cute industrialized touch. Um but yeah, I I can't totally... I mean, the song was kind of nice for a love song. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I, I... I It's one of those where I, I don't need it to be happy. And they, they did some creative things with it, but I don't need it to be happy. <laughs> yeah, and it just, like I said, it went on forever. This is one, like, most Disney movies I... Don't I don't really mind watching them again, but if I were to rewatch this one, I think it would be more for background noise than anything, because I can't see myself sitting down to actively watch Bongo. If you needed to amuse four-year-olds, <laughs> and maybe while they're playing with toys and doing a puzzle at the same time, <laughs> one of the things yeah. that was kind of out there that seemed like it could be maybe in Over the Garden Wall or some more... I don't know, out there cartoon was the yawning trees. I, I wrote that down too. That was kind of a random inclusion. I, it worked with the going to sleep scene, but it was, I don't know, weird and artistic enough that it could and, have been some gone in something else. And now that I'm thinking about it, that kind of makes the scene the next day kind of disturbing when the huge bear is like ripping trees apart. <laughs> Oh, oh, my brain did what it was supposed to do and just forget about all that. No, mine did too. It only just now dawned on me, like, that bear was, like, shredding the trees. Yes. And, no, I did not remember this being as long as it was. So there's this whole long, drawn-out thing about how she chooses him, but she chooses him with a slap, and that's supposed to be normal for bears, which I highly doubt in the wild. Whether... <laughs> I was going to ask you, is this like a bear thing that they're turning into something more? Because I've never um, heard of this. I, in all my years of watching nature programs, um, no, I don't know if... 
I, I doubt that a male bear would show any sort of violence towards female, probably towards other males and and towards cubs. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, no. The time when you might see a female showing violence would probably be if she was trying to defend her young against a male or get food or something. I don't mm-hmm. know. So, yes, this, I think, is totally made up. And it's a long song to give you a point about something that isn't true. <laughs> it's... It was a weird scene. Scenes. Yeah. Because <laughs> how many scenes? Because it's like she accidentally slaps the bad guy and Bongo doesn't know enough to slap her back. And maybe and... I'm overthinking this too, but like she slapped Bongo first, all the bears saw it, and then she accidentally slaps the other guy and all the bears accept that immediately as like, well, they're engaged now, even though she slapped Bongo first. But Bongo didn't slap back, and the other guy was all excited, like, yeah. He didn't slap back right away either. All the bears just gathered around them, like, oh, that's a match made in heaven. And also, the ugly bear slapped Bongo across the forest. Does that mean he wants Bongo? <laughs> that is... <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't think this through very well, I don't think. <laughs> um, if it does, if it... Hits you more than 40 feet, then it's not a love slap, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> this conversation's taking a turn here. I mean, it, what took, does a it, all when, mean? it took a turn what? when they invented slapping for love what for this movie. Is, what do the slaps mean? I don't know. Um... It's one of those things where you can't think too deeply about it. I don't think no. it, it's not meant to be deep. So thinking too deeply doesn't except to think, okay, this is this is not something that I desperately need. <laughs> yeah, if it was meant to be deep, he wouldn't defeat the ugly bear with a unicycle and his riding skills. And nobody really gets hurt, because even when he does defeat the bad bear, he's still going down a river, hanging <laughs> onto a log. Which is kind of nice for children. They're not always that nice about it. But of course, that also leaves a loose end. <laughs> Doesn't it? Because he can come back. Yeah, that's true. But at this I point... I don't want a sequel, though. <laughs> no. No. You're just supposed to accept that the trouble is over and everything's going to be okay. Yeah. And every bear should wear a hat because if they fall over a waterfall, they can get caught on a twig by their hat and it'll help to <laughs> save and rejuvenate the bear population on the planet. Yeah. <laughs> we have the answers here on this podcast. Well, that's such a good point. The bears need to wear hats. That's the whole point of this story. And shirts, but no pants. It's a running thing. <laughs> Just like ducks and other cartoon animals. I think people also overthink that, too. It's like, <laughs> they wanted to put a cute shirt on the animal. It's okay <laughs> if they don't wear pants. They wouldn't be wearing pants in the wild, either. Anyway. People also overthink it in the other direction, because I saw some post online that was like, they thought this through, because ducks have this gland that makes their feathers waterproof, so if he wore pants, all the oil would get soaked into the pants, and Donald wouldn't be able to swim. <laughs> I was like, somebody's really overthinking this. Lying in bed at night. Donald would have died. That cartoon would have died. Can't be wearing pants. Well, what about the shirt then, honey? 
<laughs> like he only needs a waterproof bum, apparently. <laughs> what about for flying when you have a soaked jacket on your wings? And... Disney ducks don't fly, okay. except in Three Caballeros when it's a fantasy trippy scene. <laughs> He's a domestic duck that's been bred long enough that he can't really fly, so the jacket's kind of a moot point. But he does need to bob around on a domestic pond. <laughs> Very true. Okay, this we're we're going down the same <laughs> rabbit hole that this person <laughs> went down. Anyway, or maybe I, I just am. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. Well, back to the <laughs> movie then. The very important historic film. Yes. So then you get the bridge between the stories in that once Jiminy gets this doll and the bear to fall in love for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> He finds an invitation to a party from Charlie McCarthy, Mortimer Snurd, and Edgar Bergen. Which, for people who don't know, that's a puppeteer and his two puppets from the 1930s, 40s. I don't know how long he worked. Oh, probably at least the 20s through... question mark. I want to say he was in the 50s, too, because I feel like there was an Alice in Wonderland version that they narrated that we haven't watched yet. Oh my goodness. <laughs> no, he was big. They were, they were really big. And you'll know some of that if you listen to our War of the Worlds podcast. <laughs> but this was one of the best parts of the whole film, honestly. I actually was rather amused with all of their live-action scenes. Parts of it, when it was like them narrating over the animation... I don't know. I felt that was slightly annoying. I was not annoyed. <laughs> but any time that they were on screen and doing something, they 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 really made me laugh. We watched this years <laughs> ago, and I had forgotten most of it. And when I listened to a radio program with Edgar Bergen, I wasn't blown away by how funny it was. But this was funny. This mm -hmm. actually shows you why they would have been popular. Like Charlie McCarthy offering a cigar to the little girl. I don't know why, that just made me laugh. And then the one line that was so random and weird that I had to write it down, where he asked, how would you like to go down to the city dump and watch me slug rats? I, I made a note about that, too. <laughs> like, this could be a fun thing to do. <laughs> Is that supposed to be referencing something? Did people, go for fun, go to dumps and beat rats? I bet they did. I bet it was, like, a juvenile thing to do. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'd have to Google it, but that totally sounds like something a bunch of 12-year-old boys might do. I don't know. It was just such a weird, random line that I, I had to rewind it and was like, what did I just hear? <laughs> I think I might have, too. I don't know. But no, it was oh, the, the lines in there about, now what was it? Now Happy Valley is... Gloomy Gulch or something. <laughs> yeah, and something like that. Talking about all was misery, misery, misery. Like the eighth grade. <laughs> uh, okay, that part did make, okay, there were some parts in the animation that did make me laugh. That one did. <laughs> and the part where they were talking about the town going bad and his quip about did they build a school? <laughs> Oh, and then the, oh, when the drought came. No, I liked a lot of the overlaid narration. No, that was, 
Well, I don't know how much I would have absorbed it during childhood anyway, so I don't know how much it was missing. But as an adult, mm-hmm. listening to <laughs> talking about the misery of eighth grade and whatever, it's like, yeah, it's it's good. You mentioned Happy Valley. That's apparently the name of the land where Mickey lives. And the original title of this short was The Legend of Happy Valley. It wasn't always called Mickey and the Beanstalk. Mm, well, I think Mickey and the Beanstalk is going to stick with people more. Yeah, definitely. The Legend of Happy Valley is kind of a nice title, but yeah, Mickey, definitely. Mm-hmm. And this short kind of has a bit of a history, too, because it began production in 1940, but was put on hold after the writer's strike mm-hmm. and World War II. Just a couple of little unpleasant incidents there. And originally, this was going to be paired with Wind in the Willows. Because they were breaking up their different shorts that they had planned for longer features. They shortened a bunch of them. They were originally going to plant, have this be with Wind in the Willows. Which I kind of think would make for a better pairing than <laughs> than what we got. Well, yeah, because I think for both of us, we'd just be okay with Bongo not being in the picture. But yeah. Bongo being paired with something, I don't know, even fluffier? I don't know. Yeah. But I, mean, I could see... The way they paired Wind in the Willows with Ichabod and, you know, Legend of Sleepy Hollow works better than if... I mean, Bongo wouldn't have paired well with... No. <laughs> <laughs> I also... Not only did I like the beginning live action, I liked the music in this one way better than in Bongo. I, I There's more than one song in here mm. that I liked. Well, you have the singing harp voiced by somebody named Anita Gordon, who I didn't recognize. I didn't know if you would or not. I don't recognize the name. She she sounded really familiar, but I couldn't find anything on her IMDb page that I recognized. So she must just have one of those 1940s voices that's... Mm. I don't know. She just... She, she was great. I, I just thought I recognized her, and apparently I didn't. The beginning song is so <laughs> of the times, talking about spring and happiness and... <laughs> You'll notice this is one of the things that I kind of lament about our present culture, that unless you get somebody who's, and correct me if I'm wrong, because from what I hear of mainstream music, whatever, it tends to be more of the indie artists that will actually sing about nature still. Mm. Mostly they're singing about whether they think their relationship is amazing or it stinks or, or whatever, Whereas back in the day, they sang so much more about the seasons and birds and, you know. They had a wider variety of topics than the mainstream music of today. Well, they really... Most of today's music that gets really popular, I would say, is about relationships. Yes, they they were more appreciative of the natural world and sang way more about it. They were more in tune with the seasons, and maybe part of that is the growing mechanization of our lives. But, but life was already pretty mechanized for a lot of people by the 1940s, and they still wanted to sing about spring. Mm-hmm. So, something to think about. I, it's really important for the human spirit to be in touch with the natural world and... I think they had a healthier perspective back then, you know, and I think with the current state of affairs, I, it's very interesting how people are getting more in tune with the natural world, slowing down mm. and, and enjoying it more. And I mm. remember, this is a slight rabbit trail, but I remember watching people who had been alive 
before cars, before things got really mechanized. You know, it's like an interview from the 1970s where they were still alive. Mm-hmm. And I remember this one lady talking about, I think it was just in cars in general. It's like, you can't see the flowers. <laughs> You're going too fast. <laughs> so That's true. people are have been forced to slow down and are like, wow, birds, cool. Which is lovely. Uh, a lot of the things obviously aren't lovely about this year, but that's one of the nice things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to the actual plotline, perhaps. <laughs> well, in this scene, thinking about spring, this is just a random observation. But I could have sworn that all the cows and bulls looked like they were straight out of the Ferdinand cartoon. I don't know if you've ever seen that old Oh, yeah, short. that was one of the the classic childhood ones. The the one in particular that sang, it looked like Ferdinand to me. I haven't seen Ferdinand in, like, a year, because I showed it to one of my nephews, like, a year ago. But, I mean, the whole, they, they all looked like Ferdinand characters. And I, I, I don't know if that was on purpose or not. I don't know. And then, of course, you probably have the same people drawing this stuff, so style tends to repeat itself. Mm-hmm. Which reminds me, which something we didn't talk about in Bongo, the forest creatures, they all looked like Chip. There was a bunch of chipmunks that looked like Chip, but even like the squirrels, different colors of squirrels, they all looked like Chip. Oh my. Just in different shapes. <laughs> I, yeah, you're catching stuff that I did not catch. I failed to mention that the actual plotline of this is that this magic harp, if you didn't know, is responsible for making Happy Valley Happy Valley, and when a giant steals her, then it turns into a drought-ridden, gloomy Wasteland. gulch. Gloomy gulch. <laughs> yeah. Which leads into one of the most famous scenes, which is the slicing of the bread and beans. <laughs> <laughs> which are paper, like tissue paper thin. You can see right through them. I actually... <laughs> I don't know how funny I thought this cartoon was when I was a child, but Donald going absolutely manic, <laughs> going absolutely insane, wanting and, and trying to lure the cow. <laughs> it's like, I, for some reason, was quite funny to me as an adult. And I'm with McCarthy. He's like, they have the, he has the right idea. Kill the cow. Like, yes, in an actual starvation scenario. You would be lucky if you were leaving off at eating the cow and not each other, so. But, no, and then that whole little interlude, like, I don't want to hear any more if they're going to kill the cow. (laughs) (laughs) It was pretty cute. But, no, they do the G-rated thing and sell the cow Mm -hmm. so they can have food again. And this is where there's a couple of scenes that were planned for a longer version that were cut. And I'm not sure how much of these scenes survive. I've just read about them. There was originally going to be a scene where Mickey sells the cow. And it would have been to Honest John and Foul Fellow from Pinocchio. Oh, wow. Another crossover. (laughs) Yes. I feel like I've seen that scenario But it may have just been on a totally different version of Jack and the Beanstalk. Probably that creepy one from the 80s or whatever. (laughs) Someday we should watch that. Oh, my. (laughs) And there was another scene. I think it would have replaced that one. 
They had originally envisioned the cow as being a gift to Queen Minnie, who would have then gifted him the beans in return. And neither of those scenes made it into the final film once they cut it down. Which that second one doesn't actually sound like it would make that much sense. And they probably just wanted an excuse to put Minnie in the short. Right. Here, how, take my last resource while I go home and die. Oh, some <laughs> magic beans? Thanks. <laughs> no, and here's where Donald is also so human in that he is furious with Mickey and hurls the beans. Don- Donald, he's very relatable. And another thing that I read about this short was that by this time, Donald had far surpassed Mickey in popularity. Really? And this was originally thought of as a way to maybe boost Mickey's popularity, but I still think that Donald steals the show. (laughs) If you're a child, I don't think he stole the show for me. I probably remember Mickey more, but as an adult, after you've been through so many frustrations, you're like, (laughs) yeah, I would, I can understand why you'd be upset if you're starving and he brings home magic beans. That sounds absolutely stupid. But it works out. Mm-hmm. One other random bit of trivia. This is the last time that Walt Disney voiced Mickey. Because Walt was the voice of Mickey for most of the first era of Disney as a company. But by this point, he was getting really busy. So he ended up making this one his last time voicing Mickey. And who stepped in afterwards? One of his sound effects artist Jimmy McDonald Mm. which I'm not familiar with this person no but apparently he voiced Mickey from 1947 to 1978 yeah slightly important poor guy I think the scene where the beanstalk is actually growing while they're sleeping was quite creative Mm -hmm. and very nicely done the music was good from what I, yeah, I, th- I think it was, I think it was a good Disney scene. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff here once they get to the sky that I feel like they could have done more with if they'd made this into a longer film. Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of good imagination in here, just all the giant things that they come across. There's at one point there's a dragonfly that's basically like a fighter plane and all the giant food. They could have turned it into far more of a quest, like the people selling him the beans. It could have been like, okay, these will take you to the sky and you must mm. rescue the, the harp and and then have them meet all of the challenges up there. But at this point, you know, they're half dead. They need to get to the castle <laughs> and get something to eat. Uh, yeah, they basically have a, a giant feast. Of course, they could have eaten giant food on the way to the castle on their quest. But, you know, that's true. It's a little late to rewrite. They could have caught that giant fish before it caught them. <laughs> the the giant insects were an interesting touch. Well, the giant fish ate the giant insect. Yeah. Yeah, anyway. Uh, <laughs> this is this is a fun cartoon. This is one that I would actually rewatch. Yeah, I would watch this a lot sooner than I would watch Mongo the first half. Oh yeah. And I don't think it's just nostalgia factor. No, this is it's, actually a good story. It's genuinely entertaining. Yeah. I even kind of like the belabored jello scene. <laughs> when Goofy is struggling to get his hat back on top of a giant blob of jello. Yeah, that jello scene did take a while. <laughs> <laughs> 
But no, they make their way into the castle. Goofy loses his pants, but gets them back up again. He doesn't really lose them. They just get caught in the door. Oh, that's also a classic Disney thing of the polka dot boxers. And... <laughs> Except for Donald. Yeah, another reason not to wear pants. You won't have to lose them in the first place. <laughs> Only attempt when you're a duck. <laughs> so at this point is where you meet the giant, whose name is Willie. This, they made him look so terrible when he's kidnapping the heart. Like these claw-like things coming at her. But when you meet him, I appreciate that they made him not scary. He's kind of an idiot. <laughs> he really is. And he loves pink. When you think about it, he's like a giant child. Yeah. And they just made him kind of funny and cute. And he wants to turn himself into a pink bunny to impress them. That was kind of weird, too. Like, the, they say that the giant can turn himself into anything. Like, I've... Uh, is that something that they made up for this version of the story? Because I don't remember that in other Jack and the Beanstalks I've seen. I doubt that they made that up, but I think, I, f I feel like there's still like a slight creepy element to him, especially when he's transforming and you have these giant eyes just staring out of <laughs> nothing. But for the most part, they made him cute, and I think that he's far more palatable to children. And, and even when Mickey wanted him to turn into a fly so that they could swat him, he wanted to turn into a fly with pink wings. I think he said something about, like, a cute fly. Yeah, probably. <laughs> it was kind of interesting, too, because he has these magic powers. They made his saying, fee-fi-fo-fum, that's apparently his magic words, instead of this weird rhyme that he says before he eats somebody. Oh... Yeah, okay. <laughs> Another thing about him was that his voice kind of threw me because I'm so used to the Mickey's Christmas Carol version because he's the giant for Christmas present in that. <laughs> and I'm so used to that one. And his voice is not the same. Mm. Like, it's similar, but it's not the same. Okay. So it just kind of threw me on this. It just, it felt off because I've seen Mickey's Christmas Carol a lot more than I've seen Mickey and the Beanstalk. And I've seen it like maybe twice, so uh, <laughs> that wasn't on my radar. This is another one of those things where I liked the first song that the harp sang and then she was singing this really sweet song to the giant and it's nice when you listen to a cartoon and you're like, I would listen to that again. That's nice. <laughs> She had a good voice. Yes. And she's helping Mickey know where to look for the key. He thinks that he's locked all of them into the box where he had the harp, but Mickey managed to get out without getting shut in there. One of the things that's interesting is when he gets into the giant's pocket, there's this whole scene where he upsets a snuff box with decorative lettering on it, which is obviously something that would not be... I don't think I even realized what that was. Oh, yeah. No, it said very plainly snuff in very, I don't know, sort of medieval block type letters that you might see on an illuminated manuscript. Maybe I was too busy taking notes. I don't remember saying snuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, it's one of those things where 
but it would have been really hard to cut that out. I mm -hmm. doubt that they ever did cut it out. And I, a well, lot it's of kind of an antiquated thing. That yeah, a lot of people probably wouldn't have any. A lot of children, I know. I, I doubt that I would have. I probably wouldn't have been reading it or knowing that this was basically a drug. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, and it's probably not something that most people are, are going to emulate. Anyways, like cigarettes. Snuff is not fashionable. And you don't look cool when you're taking <laughs> snuff. <laughs> you're going to see snuff if you're watching an 1800s period drama. And that's about it. So... But no, he upsets that and makes the giant sneeze and creates a bit of a situation. But of course, they escape with the harp. And they, they changed how they make the giant fall, because in this main story, he chops down the beanstalk. But in this one, he ties his shoelaces together. Well, he was trying to tie them together, and then he woke up the giant. And so he's chasing them. And then what's kind of funny is that Mickey's behind, and he's supposed to be the hero, but it's his companions that are already at the base of the stock, <laughs> cutting it down. Like, we gotta deal with this situation. Yeah, I like how they put their own spin on everything. That's one thing that I like about these adaptations, is how they change things. Do their own thing with it. Also, they didn't actually kill off the giant, which I don't know how much he needed to be killed off. He's basically... Well, it, seemed, it seems like they killed him off. Yeah. But then he shows up in the real world for some reason. Maybe that's where he fell. Maybe he fell oh, out of yeah. magical land into Hollywood. So so above us is cartoon land and above cartoon land is giant land. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but he peeks in and makes Edgar Bergen faint. But, yeah. <laughs> and the the puppets manage it very calmly. And then the giant goes exploring and he wears the brown derby as a hat. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And there's Grauman's Chinese theater in the brown derby. And you can see the Hollywood sign. But yeah, he's sort of creeping through the town, not disturbing anything except for ruining the brown derby. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if there was anyone working in there that night. <laughs> it was kind of a cute touch. And that's basically how it ends so it's a very light-hearted version of this tale mm -hmm. with a slightly more gentle juvenile giant mm -hmm. they kept it light so yeah i would definitely recommend the second half of this package mm -hmm. i kind of wish that they would release like the cut apart versions like i talked about of different versions that exist and I do want to see those but like for a long time these were cut apart and they were their own things before they put them back together and I just feel like and maybe this is coming but I feel like Disney Disney Plus is maybe sort of wasting some of their opportunities to do some of these old things like the old Walt Disney anthology TV shows even though they were reusing a lot of stuff I still would like to see those shorts and even like the old, old shorts that they reused in that context. I think it would just be interesting. So you basically just want to see everything, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure they exist somewhere on the internet. And if I looked hard enough, I could find it. But I just want Disney Plus to make it easier. <laughs> sure. Maybe at some point they will. I hope so. Because there are a lot of people who want a lot of that old historical TV programming. And I feel like they have to at some point. 
Anyway, I guess that is all for fun and fancy free. Do you all feel more fun and fancy free now that we've discussed this? It's maybe, maybe, if it distracted you from the day to day. Well, they ended on the one that was more fun and more fancy. <laughs> Mongo was more free. <laughs> okay, well, I guess we'll see you next time for Melody Time. All right, bye. Thank you to Sarah for joining me for this episode. Like we said at the end of the episode, we'll be back next time for Melody Time. Until then, thanks for listening to the Disney Movie Marathon. Free and